The message you are about to hear is produced and distributed by the Living Church of God as a free educational service. Edited reproduction is prohibited. Copyright Living Church of God. All rights reserved. Good afternoon, everyone. You notice that they uh, lowered that for normal people so that... uh, (coughs) I guess they could have that blue background where it should be for the uh, taping today. Well, it's good to be uh, back with you, and I say that that with uh, genuine feeling. As uh, some of you know, I've been a little bit under the weather, but I'm feeling much, much better. Thank you. And uh, I feel like I've lost, oh, at least two or three pounds of rocks. No. Gallstones, of course, are, uh, are heavy. <clears throat> what is the application of Jesus' statement that uh, we read in John chapter 8? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Was there something which triggered this thought in Jesus' mind, or did God have a message for us which those who reject truth may never see? Is this a simple platitude or a profound statement? Which is it? I believe if we look at this statement in the context of that moment in time and man's historical experience back behind that period of time, we'll understand a very profound truth which the world simply cannot know today. Let's read John chapter 8. Beginning in verse 31, John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said, To those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How do you say, You shall be made free. And Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abides not in the house forever, but the Son abides ever. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me, because my word has no place in you. Now, we're all familiar with the definition of word, logos in the Greek, uh, which uh, is used by John. And some scholars explain that the Apostle John was quite familiar with the uh, background, the definition of this term, that it it was, in fact, an actual fact, the concept behind logos was well known to the Jewish people, uh, at least to the scholars, for quite some time before it was introduced in Greek philosophy. I read in Gill's notes, In John, Logos denotes the essential word of God, Jesus Christ, the personal wisdom and power in union with God. His minister in creation and government of the universe, the cause of all the world's life, both physical and ethical, which for the procurement of man's salvation put on human nature in the person of Jesus the Messiah, the second person in the Godhead, and shone forth conspicuously from his words and deeds. The term logos was familiar to the Jews and in their writings long before a Greek philosopher named Heraclitus used the term Logos around 600 B.C. It was used to designate the divine reason or plan which coordinates a changing universe, that is, by the Greek philosopher. The word was well suited to John's purpose in John 1. Word, that is, the word, word, Logos in the Greek, and other terms are pregnant with meaning. They are filled with 
significance and meaning. In a book entitled The Miracle of Language by Charlton Laird, and by the way, <clears throat> he uses the, the title, uh, the term miracle, deliberately, knowingly, and with forethought, because it is indeed a miracle. Language is in itself, of itself, a miracle. Uh, in his book, in the very beginning, he says, Since you have already imagined the impossible, and in the moonlight with the strange shapes and shadows, he's going back in time, in strange and ancient times, when first man was living on the earth, shadows were everywhere, it is very pleasant, strangely comforting to imagine nice and impossible things. You imagine something more. You imagine that by some sort of magic, where whenever you want the other creature to know what you are thinking, your thoughts will appear in the other person. This creature, too, can give you thoughts just by wanting you to have them. Then if you love each other, you can tell each other all about it, only by wanting the other one to know. But that could not happen. That would be a miracle. Being practical and taking little stock in miracles, you go off and try to drown your lonely feelings in fermented goat's milk. This is, of course, a pun on his part to show the futility of living without the ability to communicate, without the ability to convey to a mate or to other people, persons of human species, what you feel. The miracle of speech does not grow less if we examine it. And then he proceeds to examine the subject of the miracle of speech. But there is a downside to speech. And that downside is that the opposite of the truth is the lie. That with the ability to communicate the truth, there is also the ability to communicate the untruth. In one of the, on, over one of the entrances of uh, the, uh, one of the infamous uh, Nazi concentration camps, I think it was Auschwitz, there was a slogan which read in German, Arbeit macht frei, or translated, uh, that would be, labor makes free. If you have read extensively or ever visited any of those camps and seen those museums, as I have, you probably know that uh, there were 22 major prison camps in Germany. And uh, they have been, the record and the uh, information has been preserved. Uh, Yad Vashim in Jerusalem is an example. Dachau, uh, just uh, out of uh, Munich, is another. The slogan, Arbeit macht frei, is generally translated then to work makes free. It could mean, however, working will liberate, or work is the way to freedom. And it might be argued and it is by some, that it can be compared to the scriptural saying, if a man does not work, neither shall he eat, which is in Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Let's read that in Second Thessalonians beginning in verse 6. Paul wrote, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of or by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walks disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you, to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. 
Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and they and eat their own bread. Unless we get haughty, unless we get judgmental about the uh, matter of... Uh, is there water? I don't find water here. Yes, I do. Thank you. I didn't watch to see if uh, Mr. Pyle drank from this glass. But I presume you don't backwash, so it's okay. Lest we begin to get judgmental, we need to remember that during World War II, there were also camps in the United States. <clears throat> and uh, I, I believe from the reports that I have seen, they were more humanely run. Certainly, they were not prison camps in, in, uh, of the uh, sort that uh, existed in Nazi Germany. Uh, they weren't death camps, in other words, not by any stretch of the imagination. However, getting back to this, uh, this subject, uh, perhaps from this passage, that is 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, we have taken an expression which we use in our language, if you don't work, you don't eat. Now, I was told that as a child when I <clears throat> chose to not work on one given occasion, and uh, matter of fact, I had a cousin whose name was also Carl, who uh, was visiting with, uh, with us, and <clears throat> he didn't want to work, and uh, the two of us thought it would be more fun to go exploring and take off, and uh, when lunchtime came, we came in, and my dad said, well, what did you fellas do this morning? And, well, nothing, and, uh, well, around here, if you don't work, you don't eat, and uh, I knew <clears throat> that my father was jesting, at least in part. I knew that it was a jest, but also that it was a warning. Uh, my cousin was so offended, he got up from the table and, and uh, went to um, his room and <clears throat> refused to come out. He didn't understand what was being said. But going back to the slogan over that main entrance of the concentration camp, I think, at Auschwitz, if we associate Arbeit mach frei with death by starvation or extermination in the gas chambers, either way, then the meaning, work makes free, becomes ghoulish. It could mean working to death, which makes a slave or a prisoner, in this case, free. Now, the point is this. Words are audible expression of thought. Truth is the honest expression of thought, factual thought. The truth may be mis misunderstood by the hearer, and it may be incorrectly repeated by the hearer, and subsequently an untruth is told repeated from an expression of truth. So, truth misunderstood and repeated incorrectly is untrue, but does not make a liar of the teller of truth. I think it's important for us to understand, and I hope you don't misunderstand my words and why I'm saying this, because the opposite of truth is a lie. Now, a lie is a noun. It means an untrue statement which is made deliberately. When a person accuses another of lying, he is making a judgment, a presumption, that the person intentionally falsely stated a matter. And this, of course, is a very serious offense. It's based upon the principle of the commandment in Exodus 20.16, which says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. <clears throat> However, we ought to examine that statement as well and understand, because if we misunderstand the words and we don't understand the thought behind the words, then we simply may not understand the truth. And the truth is very important, because... The opposite of the truth is a lie. Now, what Exodus 20, 16 says, 
You shall not bear false witness. And false witness implies a test or an action that has been brought against your neighbor. Or it implies that a doing, an act of your neighbor has been brought to light and is being examined. The Hebrew word shekar or shekar, which is translated from into false in our language, means lie, deception, disappointment, or falsehood. And witness is very clear. It's the Hebrew word aid. And it means simply a person who has seen, who, who is testifying as to the facts of a given situation. Now, Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth remains truth, although a hearer misunderstands and misinterprets the truth. The truth is never a lie. It's important that we understand that the truth is never a lie. But a misstatement of the truth is not a lie unless it is intentionally, intentionally done for some purpose. And I have heard personally this, the accusation, liar and a lie, in so many instances where it simply did not apply where an individual made a misstatement or where a person said something which he thought was the, the truth, which he thought was factual, and in fact it was not. Let's look at John chapter 14 on this subject. In John chapter 14, let's begin to, for the sake of context in verse 1. Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, or, as the Greek really would imply, positions or places, offices or places of abode. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus had just said, you know the way. You know where I'm going, and you know the way. Thomas said, we don't know where you're going, and we don't know the way. Contradicting what Jesus had just said. <clears throat> Did Jesus lie? No. He told the truth. Did Thomas lie? No, he told the truth. The problem lay in that Jesus was making a statement. Thomas didn't understand his words, and he didn't understand his thought. He didn't understand and didn't comprehend the truth that Jesus was implying behind the words which he had just made or given. Jesus said unto him, verse 6, I am the way, and you know me, See, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by or through me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also, and from henceforth you know him and have seen him. And Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us. And Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet have you not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me has seen the Father. And how do you say, then, show us the Father? Believe you not that I am in the Father, <clears throat> and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me. He does the works." Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Now, the disciples were hearing his words, but they were not comprehending the sense or the thoughts behind the words, the audible sounds. 
and as a result, there was some confusion. Many persons in the Church of God and the world have access to Hebrew and Greek word definitions. Uh, Strong's uh, is readily available now on the uh, uh, on various Bible programs, and so <clears throat> the definitions of words from a lexicon or a dictionary may convey meanings, but they do not always correctly and properly and completely convey thoughts. And this is a problem, <clears throat> and many times we, we take a word and we do a word study, and then we think that we understand the whole thing unless we understand the flow, the thought behind the context we may well miss the point, and the truth in a given text may escape us, and we may perceive and misunderstand. And if we repeat our misunderstanding, then it is not the truth. Sometimes people look at definitions of words, and they don't weigh those words in the context of that passage and miss the point. To understand what Jesus was speaking of, uh, that he was speaking for the Father, and <clears throat> that ought to speak to us, if we have the mind of Christ, that his life and his teachings were consistent with the teachings of the Old Testament. Now, uh, most people today assume the Old Testament, that is, that the God of the Old Testament was God the Father. Now, Jesus Christ came to reveal the Father. They had not really known the Father before. This is what he said. His direct statement was, I have come to reveal the Father. So, therefore, they did not know the Father in the Old Testament. And John 1, uh, 1 through 10, and uh, uh, what is it, Colossians 1, 16, Ephesians 3, 9, I think it is, uh, scriptures which clearly state that Jesus was the one who was the creator, uh, the, the uh, executor of the creation of the universe, or at least of the earth and that which we know, and of man. That he came and that he was the conduit through whom the Father did the creation. And that Jesus, when he spoke spoke for the Father. He spoke the thoughts of the Father, the mind of God the Father. And we know that the Scripture says in Malachi 3.6 that God does not change. And Jesus doesn't change. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. So that, that there is consistency and constancy throughout, from Genesis to Revelation, in the words, the thoughts, the expression and the intention of God, whether it is God the Father speaking through Jesus Christ or Christ speaking uh, directly in person to his disciples. Now, we must understand, I think, Jesus was, in dealing with a situation at the moment, in this particular text in John chapter 14, he was harking back to a conflict which is as old as man himself. The conflict between the truth and the lie began in the beginning, in chapter 3 of the book of Genesis. <clears throat> We've read this so many times that it's almost, you know, we, we know it by heart. In Genesis chapter 3, the serpent came. He was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, after God had instructed Adam and, and Eve, in their conduct in how to dress the garden, what they were to do, and what they could eat and what they should not eat. Then the serpent said, Yes, now, as God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said, You shall not surely die. 
For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And sure enough, the woman saw that it was a beautiful tree, and it was beautiful food and pleasant to the eyes. A tree to be desired to make one wise. It had some special, perhaps curative or uh, other properties which were uh, desirable. And so she took of the fruit. In verse 17, in one commentary says, in verse 17, <clears throat> unto Adam, God said, because you have hearkened, and the Hebrew word, word there, shama, means more than just heard, it means to incline with the intent to understand, to intently listen to and act on because you inclined your ear unto the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In sorrow shall you eat of it all the days of your life. Uh, the commentary, one of the commentaries says, Unto Adam he said, blah, 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 Last of all, being the last that sinned, but not to be excused, because you have hearkened unto the voice of your wife, which was not only to mean, but mean, but sinful, since it was opposite to the voice of God. That is, the, the instruction, the command of God, which he ought to have hearkened to. God is to be hearkened to and obeyed rather than man, and much rather than a woman. This is from uh, uh, J.F. and B. commentary. James Fawcett and Brown uh, shows the thinking uh, of the 19th century. To regard the persuasion of a woman and neglect the command of God is a great aggravation of such neglect. There was more of a concept of uh, leadership in the 19th century than, than there is today. Now the point is this, that Jesus is truth. The God of the Old Testament who, who spoke, who worked with Adam and Eve, who created them, who placed them in the garden, gave them the truth. And that truth was that if they partook of the fruit of a particular tree, they would die. The serpent, or Satan, told them the contrary. He said, oh, God knows better. I think one translator, uh, translation, isn't it the Spanish translation, says, God knows better. Which is a direct affront and accusation against God that God had lied. The accusation of Satan was, God has lied to you because he knows better. So, Jesus was the one, the, the, the one who became Jesus was the one who had spoken to Adam, and he had said, you will die. <clears throat> the being who created Adam, the one who became flesh, again from J, F, and B, the Word became a human being, and he presented truth, the Word of God the Father, that is, to his disciples and those who listened to him. The Word who created all things spoke the truth to Adam. The Word made manifest spoke the truth to his disciples and believers. From the commentary. The point is Satan lied. And in his lie, he accused God of lying. Now, Jesus, in speaking to those who questioned his sayings, who believed on him, pointed back to that conflict the conflict in the Garden of Eden. And so, there was truth told, and then there was a lie told. The truth was, if you eat of this fruit, you will die. The lie was, God knows better. He's not telling you the truth. You won't surely die. I want to read you a comment from the uh, Companion Bible on this text, which I never... I guess I've read before, but I hadn't noticed it. In verse 4 of Genesis 3, Companion Bible says the, the phrase, you shall not surely die, 
and I quote, Satan's second utterance, contradiction of God's word. In, verse, uh, in chapter 2, verse 7, contradiction is a contradiction of God's word in chapter 2, verse 17. This has become the foundation of spiritism and traditional belief as to death. Do you know what Bullinger is, saw? What I perceive from that is that Bullinger knew the dead are dead, not living. That Bullinger understands or understood, he's dead now, he understood that the dead are awaiting the resurrection, that they are not living in some place, either in heaven or hell, or in limbo in between. Now let's go back to the statement of Jesus in, John, in chapter 8 of John, uh, <clears throat> where we began. In John chapter 8, and let's begin, begin the, uh, this time in John 8, verse 21. So that we begin with the thought, the, the paragraph, uh, apparently the thought begins here, although earlier uh, writing is very important also in understanding context. But in John chapter 8, verse 21, Then Jesus said again unto them, <clears throat> I go my way, and you shall seek me, and shall, not, and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, you cannot come. He's talking to the to the world in that case. He's talking to the, the public, not his disciples, I take it. The, the direction of his statement is to, his, to the world who did not believe on him. Then said the Jews, oh, they, they surmised, he was saying that he was going to kill himself or something. So they said, will he kill himself? Because he saith, whither I go, you cannot come. And he said unto them, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. Look at that. You shall die in your sins. Same story, the same words, the same statement that he made to Adam. You sin, you will die. So there's a parallel between Genesis 2 and 3 and John 8. You shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. <clears throat> a week ago, last Tuesday or Wednesday, on Larry King Live, there was a very interesting discussion between two rabbis, one on the East Coast, one the West, one Messianic Jew and a Baptist minister, uh, educator from a theological school, a seminary or a department in, uh, I think, in Louisville, Kentucky, or Cincinnati, Ohio, I don't recall. <clears throat> in this discussion, the, the Jews were, the Jews, I mean, the rabbis, were charging that the Baptists were targeting the Jewish community for conversion. And the, the, the Baptist minister, and by the way, Billy Graham was uh, on Larry King Live of New Year's week, and uh, he also was, uh, was faced with this same question and this same problem, because on the same program with Billy Graham was the Dalai Lama of Tibet, now living in India. <clears throat> but the question, the problem they have is this. They believe that anybody who does not accept Jesus Christ in this lifetime, who dies is going to burn forever in hell. Right? Therefore, they are duty-bound to get the witness to all of those unbelievers who have not accepted Jesus and to tell them the story so that they won't go into hell and burn forever. So, the two rabbis, the one in New York, one in Los Angeles, put it to the minister... You believe that because we don't accept Jesus as Messiah, you believe we're going to go to hell and die, and, and rather go to hell and burn forever. Well, no, uh, but, but yes, you do. Else why do you want to convert us to your religion? Well, yes, you will, but, but God is merciful and, you know, 
You know why they had the contention? And I mean, they argued for an hour and it got rather blistering hot because they don't understand the truth. Neither side understands or understood the truth of the statement of Genesis and of Jesus' own words. That if you don't believe me, if you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, and if you do not accept the message, and on and on, then you will die. Just that simple, you will die, and that could be the end of it. He doesn't say what will transpire thereafter. You'll just die. But they cannot understand that. The world simply has never understood the simple truth that God said, if you, if you partake of the sinful act, you will die. The world has believed the lie, which is, no, you don't die. You live on forever in another place, in another state. And that is the original lie. And the world has believed it, and still believes it, and will continue to believe it. Until, of course, Jesus Christ comes and <clears throat> opens up their minds and hearts and eyes to see. Then said they unto him, verse 25, well, who are you? Now, that can be taken in two different ways. It can be taken as a sincere question of, who are you? Or it can be taken as, who do you think you are? In the context of the, the the likelihood is that some of them were asking it, who do you think you are to say we're going to die? I suppose there were others who thought, who are you? But not many, I would suspect. And Jesus said to them, even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. <clears throat> Interesting. There's a play on words here. He is pointing back to the beginning of his ministry, but also they can't comprehend it, but he's, he's pointing all the way back to the beginning when he spoke to the first man on this matter of life and death and, and the truth. I, verse 26, have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him." They understood not, verse 27, that he spake to them of the Father, because they in that day did not believe there were there was a possibility for two beings to be in the Godhead. And they, to this day, deny it. On Larry King Live, they denied it. And the unfortunately, the Baptist minister, when asked, well, what do you believe? Can there be two persons in the Godhead? And he said, well, oh no, well, we are in agreement on that. They don't know, can't know, the truth. Because they believed the initial lie. And it's interesting how it continues from there. <clears throat> they understood not Verse 27, that he spake to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, verse 28, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, <clears throat> then shall you know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. Now, again, let's, let's think about this. The Son of Man. Remember in the, the account in Genesis 3, God said to the woman, Your salvation will be in your seed. Now, all Jews expect and have looked forward to the Messiah. They were taught that there is a Savior coming. And they don't deny that. The two rabbis on Larry King Live did not deny. They are looking for a Messiah. They have a different idea or concept of what the Messiah will do and who he is. One of them expressed it this way. He said, if I'm uh, uh, trying to recall my words, not his, that he will be just a man and he will be a very strong leader, etc. But he won't be, he won't be divine. He won't be, he won't be a savior. He won't be God. 
That's a mis... He, he thought that's a misunderstanding of Messiah. Then Jesus said, <clears throat> again, verse 28, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. And He that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please Him. As He spake these words, many believed on Him. Verse 30, Okay, many believed on him. Verse 31, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. I mean, their minds were persuaded at this point. That's what the, the thought is, I take it. Their minds were persuaded. They were persuaded. And so he addressed those who were persuaded and said, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed or in truth. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. That's the context in which this statement is made. So it's a, first of all, they believed. And then he said, if you continue, then you shall know the truth, and then the truth shall make you free. And ultimately, that can by extension mean that you will never die. Because that's, that's in the flow of the context. It's the only way. And they answered, verse 33, <clears throat> because they didn't understand his words. We be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. How do you say you shall be made free? Now, that was not true because they were not, in fact, totally free. They, to some degree, certainly, a considerable degree, were under the rulership and the, the power of the Roman army, the Roman government. But they glossed over it, and they could do so. If I were to explain how it was all, the government was established, you can understand how in their minds, they had been able to accept their, their uh, being under the Roman authority while having a certain amount of liberty and freedom, and then in their minds, they could accept the myth that they were free still. But they really weren't. They weren't even free in the civil matter. But he was referring to another sort. Of freedom. Now, Jesus answered them, verse 34, <clears throat> Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin. Now, what did Adam do in the garden? Scripture says that Adam committed sin because he knew better. Eve was deceived. The Scripture says so. Eve was totally deceived. She bought it. She didn't understand it. But Adam did understand. Adam had his mind open. Adam understood very clearly the words, the expression, the thought of God. Whereas apparently Adam or Eve did not. So the greater sin lay on Adam. And he was a servant of that sin. <clears throat> God said to him, the earth will bring forth thistles, and you'll have to labor. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter what... You, you don't have to be a farmer to have to pay the penalty of Adam. You can be a printer and have to suffer the thorns and the thistles of competition and, and other things. The vagaries of the machinery, the, 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 it goes on and on. And, verse 35, the serpent abides not in the house forever, but the son abides forever. So, again, he's talking about the servant that's going to die. The son's going to live forever. The two, two different ways. If the son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. He's talking about eternal life. Living as opposed to death or dying. I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. The word didn't take root. It didn't enter in, and they did not comprehend. They did not understand. They didn't internalize. They were resisting it because of their own sin. Verse 
I speak, verse 38, that which I have seen with my Father. I have seen with my Father, and you do that which you have seen with your Father. And he's talking spiritually here. He is speaking spiritually. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father again, denying who they really, who was really their spiritual father. And Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Yet you do, verse 41, the deeds of your father. And they said to him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Now, they understood, spiritually speaking, that if they were of Satan, they would be spiritual illegitimates, right? They understood this. They perceived the spiritual implications of what he was saying, just as they were saying they were Abraham's seed, and because of that, they were spiritually the sons of God, the children of God. And he was saying, you're not Abraham's seed, not spiritually speaking, and you are spiritual illegitimates. And they perceived what he was saying, although it was in the thought behind the words, not dogmatically. And Jesus said, verse 42, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear or perceive, comprehend my word. You are of your father, the devil, verse 44, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. The father of the lie. <clears throat> and because I tell you the truth, you will believe me not. Now then, very plainly, Jesus is going back again to the very first lie. And he is pointing back to the event in the Garden of Eden. And he is telling them that they were Adam's seed, not Abraham's. Not God's children. They were Adam's children. And just as Adam was told, you will die if you partake of that tree, they were eating of that tree and they were going to die. And he said, because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. If he had been telling them the story, the platitudes and the stories which their rabbis and others were, were saying of that day, they would have believed him. Seeing all of the good deeds and the miracles he performed, they would have thought, this is the man. But he told them the truth, and his words did not correspond to their concept of one and did not in their minds, did not support the deeds that he was doing, the good deeds, the powerful deeds of healing the sick. And so he said, he challenged them in verse 46, which of you convinces me or convicts me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God hears God's words, and you therefore hear them not because you are not of God. And then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that you are a Samaritan and are demon-possessed? It should be translated, because that's exactly what they were saying. Verse 48, You are demon-possessed. Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my Father, and you do dishonor me. And I seek not mine own glory. There is one that seeks and judges, and that is God my father, his, he is saying, implied he, that there is one he was seeking to obey. There was one he, he was seeking to be found righteous in judgment. Now then, in every quest, in every argument, there is always, on the one side, the truth, and on the other, the lie. 
there, there, are, there is no in-between. There are no exceptions. It does not matter. There is the truth, and then there is the lie. The basis for every contentious situation is found in truth and the lie. doesn't matter what kind of a problem it is. It's truth or lie. Now, God offered God, offered man, Adam, the tree of life. He offered Adam life. Adam was told by Eve, who was told by Satan, God is lying. God knows better. You won't die. So the liar knew what he was doing when he contradicted God. <clears throat> and Adam, the man who was not deceived, forfeited the opportunity for life, for his own salvation through the promised seed. And that promised seed was Jesus, who was begotten of God within the woman by the Holy Spirit. Continuing in verse 51, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Now, this is a conditional promise, isn't it? If, that's a condition, if a man keep my saying, he will never see death. What saying? Which one? It's singular. Think about it. It's a matter of life and death. On the one hand, there's a promise of life. And that has to do with partaking of the spiritual tree of life, which is through Jesus Christ. Believing what he said, that you will die. And the alternative to dying is eternal life through redemption. There is no other way, because it is appointed unto all men to die. And so, <clears throat> that is the saying that Jesus, I, I believe, is referring to. The saying that if you partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you go that route, you will die. And then said the Jews unto him, verse 52, Now we know that you have a devil. Abraham is dead. Oh. Oh. Abraham is dead. And the prophets, and you say, if a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. So they were taking the truth and they were giving it a twist. That's not what he was saying. He says, I, I, he was not saying, you will not die this physical life. This, this body will not cease but you will have eternal life or you will have eternal death. And so they didn't understand, and of course being carnal and not knowing the truth, then they were saying, because Abraham's dead and all the fathers are dead, who do you think you are to tell us that you will never die? And Jesus said, verse 54, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his saying. I bet there were a few of them who could have put their fist through his head about then. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham. And Jesus said unto them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. So he is stating who he was, and if they had had any comp spiritual comprehension at all, they would have, and they, they actually did kind of know what he was saying, but they, they didn't want to articulate it. Because the idea was simply repugnant to them. It was contrary to everything they had always been taught. There is only one entity in the Godhead and no person walking on this earth who is flesh and blood and whose father and mother we know, or mother we know at least, could be a member of that Godhead. 
again, you understand, and, and there's some logical, sensible reason why they would say that. Because the pagans were all, all accustomed to saying that their chief king, their Caesar, or at that time their, their, uh, their king, was God. And then every time he had day, a die, they'd say, you know, long live the king. <laughs> the king is dead. You know, it's a, it's kind of a contradictory thought, but if you understand the thought behind it, it's, it's valid. Long live the kingship. That's the idea. And so they, there, there was some room here for a little bit of give and push and take and give and take here. So he said, before Abraham was, I am. Then took up they stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. And so at that point in time, they really did understand that he was saying, I'm, I'm the Son of God, meaning I'm God. <clears throat> Jesus was the Word, the Logos. <clears throat> Jesus was the truth. His words were truth. And those who believe and obey his words are promised life. They'll be free. Truly, then, they shall be relieved of the curse of death. The afflictions of the flesh, the ultimate, of course, affliction is death. Thus, I think Paul it is, isn't it, who says the last enemy shall be destroyed, that is, the last enemy being death. And Satan is the liar, the father of lies. Just in summary, all of the distortions, all of the misrepresentations and deliberate lies from the beginning to the end of the human existence are from Satan. Now, let's, again, let's recap. The truth is, Adam and Eve died, and that all men have died. The lie was, they wouldn't die. The truth is, they're still dead. The lie is, no, they're not dead. They're just living in HLH, that is, heaven, limbo, or hell. I mean, <clears throat> isn't it crazy? It, it is absolutely insane when, when, we, when you think logically about what the truth is and then what the lie is and compare. You know, each of us should ask, how precious is the truth? Because without the truth and without an understanding of the truth, the promise that was made and the statement, that is, the command that was made and, and the violation of that command and the results from it, without understanding of that, you don't know where you are and you don't know where you're going and how to get there. Now, <clears throat> you need to ask, we all, each and all of us, need to ask, how carefully do I listen to understand the truth? And how careful am I in repeating the truth? It is very difficult sometimes for us <clears throat> being flesh, being human, because God gave us this great gift of language, the ability to communicate. And it is such a marvelous instrument, a marvelous tool, the ability to communicate. And... Sometimes we love it so much. We love words. We, we just love to, to hear and tell some new thing and, and whatever. And, and that's all good. And it's wonderful. Providing that we learn the lesson that truth is very, very, very important. And particularly in some in, uh, some situations, particularly when it involves judgment. When it involves judging another person's character, when it involves judging another person's action, when it involves another person's intention, that is a most critical time to be careful of the truth. When the facts are there, the truth is clear, then there's no question You know, the ability to speak, the ability to communicate thoughts, particularly philosophical ideas and concepts, 
is an, an, a, one of the great attributes of God which he has given to man. And, and, and no animals, no fowl, no fish, no other creature that we know of in the physical realm has that ability. It is a marvelous tool which God has given to man. The ability to transfer thought into sound and then from sound through the ear into understanding. Back into thought. You know, communicate, <coughs> it con con conveys, the word itself conveys commonality. What you know, you tell me, and we have, we have something in common. Commonality. It is the ability to make known and to disclose the inner thoughts. That's communication. When we read Jesus' statement in John 8, <clears throat> then he is consistent with his message to Adam in Genesis 3. He said, I speak that which I have seen with my father, and indeed he did. And he said, why do you not understand my speech? Because you cannot hear, comprehend, in other words, my word. Singular. My word. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not, he said. If a man keep my saying, he shall never see death, he said. And he said, you have not known him, but I know him, speaking of the Father. All of this, he said, in this context of this one discussion period, first with the Jews in general, and then later with those who believed from the Jews. And also, of course, in another instance with his disciples. The Logos knew the Father <clears throat> from eternity, communicated to the first man the essential word. The man didn't listen. The man didn't obey. Rather, he chose to listen or obey Satan through, of course, the instrument Satan used, which in that case was the woman. Jesus knew the Father from eternity, and he communicated his essential word to his disciples and believers. But the multitudes could not hear his words because they were listening to Satan. We make choices daily, whether to hear him or to hear the adversary. And, you know, there's, I think there's a, a, a spirit and an attitude that, uh, that goes along with this. And Mr. Armstrong, I think, really stated it beautifully when he said, there is this other message which is being broadcast out there on Satan's wavelength. And when we are tuned into that, as we turn from the truth and thinking on hearing and telling and, and communicating the truth, and we turn to, to hearing and communicating the lie, and everything which has flowed from that lie, then an attitude changes. There is an attitude change. And unfortunately, with that attitude goes hostility, anger, and ultimately murder. In John chapter 10, <clears throat> verse 20, many said to Jesus, He hath a devil. He is possessed. He's mad. Why hear you him? This is what they were, the, the adversaries were saying to those who would listen to Jesus, to those who would try to understand and who would ask questions in the proper spirit and attitude. They said, well, he's possessed and he has, he's mad, and why would you even listen to him? In Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, notice, While he yet spake, Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear you Him. Listen to Him. Pay attention. Feed on His Word. Because He is the Word of God. The Apostle Paul, in two very classic 
texts <coughs> speaks to this same matter. In Romans chapter 1, specifically, and for the sake of brevity and time, verse 25 Speaking of this world and those of this world, the intellectuals of this world, he said, they change the truth of God or they exchange the truth of God for the lie. And it started with one, and from that everything is built. The lie is you will not die. Do as you please. You can go your way and you will not die. And so they exchange the truth, which is you will die for the lie and everything that flowed from it is toward death. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 11, we read, again, the Apostle Paul, that because of the choice of man, mankind, for this reason God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. When, when individuals make a conscious choice or decision a conscious choice and decision to go there according to their own way and, and to live by their own mind and, and, and lusts, when that happens, then strong delusion flows. Now, we have known the truth, and we know that no lie is of the truth, and the truth is no lie. The whole world is deceived. <clears throat> They don't know God. They don't know Christ, not the true Christ. And they don't know the God the Father, just as those who believed on Jesus in his day when he spoke to them did not know the Father until they received the Spirit indwelling, until they came into harmony with his law, his thinking, which is reflected by his law, tempered with mercy and love. If any of us are consumed by anger, and lust. We're not free. We don't know the truth. We're kidding ourselves. We do not yet know the Father or His Son until we're free from the lie, which is that you can go your own way and do your own thing and be your own self without regard to the truth, which is it's going to lead you to death. We must no longer be persuaded by Satan that we can live hypocritically. As the Jews who believed on him apparently did. We should look daily to Jesus Christ to renew our freedom through his spirit flowing through us in our heart, our mind, and through our work, through our actions. And as Jesus said then, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It really, truly will give you eternal life.